Amen, amen. Um, this is the second time I've been in the service this morning, seeing folks get baptized, and that just never, ever gets old. So praise God that he's still doing the work of bringing people to himself, and we can celebrate that today uh, as we are the church. And we are in a, service, a sermon series called Being the Church, and this is the third, the third sermon in that, and the first one was about belonging, and that was out of Ephesians chapter 2, assembling, which was last week, Hebrews chapter 10, and this week we're in uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, talking about caring. So I'm not sure about you guys, but I'm a little bit sad that the Olympics are over. The past few weeks have just been full of joy for me. <laughs> Getting to sleep very late, waking up very early, cheering on you know, all my favorite athletes, waking my kids up at night, <laughs> and they, they can attest to that, they're right over there. And so, uh, you know, just cheer it on, Katie Ledecky, Caleb Dressel, Allison Felix, Simone Manuel, Simone Biles, the USA basketball teams, and then watching my favorite, Usain Bolt, in like every other commercial. I was, so, I, I was like, get off the bench and just run, you'll beat everybody, you know, uh, it'd be like old times. But as much as I love the Olympics, I've never watched the closing ceremonies because I want to remain in denial that it's still happening, but it's over. But during those 16 days, there is something special in the air because it seems like the whole world is brought together for a positive thing, positive cause. And for me, I like to watch people who have mastered their craft, but also it makes me feel normal because I'm a very competitive person. But all of those people are way more intense than I'll ever be. So part of it's like, you know, soothing for me uh, to watch the Olympics. But despite the competitive nature of all this, there are some moments that happen at the Olympics that jump into the headlines faster than the medal count. And this is when somebody, perhaps from a different country, who speaks a different language, they comfort one of their fellow competitors. Uh, in Tokyo, or Rio, a couple years ago, there was uh, Nikki Hamblin, who's a 5,000-meter runner. She was uh, pictured and depicted, you know, helping somebody up who had fallen. And then this year, there was a, a picture that was going around social media of two 800-meter runners, one from America, one from Botswana, helping each other up as they were, uh, at the, after they had fallen during their race. So all the commentators and all the people who were reporting on the news said that this is the Olympic spirit at work. But why is that? It's because they're caring for each other. It's because when we care for each other, we see how the world ought to be. When we care for each other, it actually shows a bit of our image-bearing, our Imago Dei that's in us, and really points us ultimately to our Savior. And so as we look at this text in Galatians chapter 6, it's no mistake that it's following up Galatians chapter 5, which is uh, renowned for uh, cataloging the fruits of the Spirit. Because if believers are filled with the Spirit, they'll exude the kind of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that, uh, that caring requires. And so it's unfortunate, but oftentimes we're motivated by self-interest. What's in it for me? And caring is one of those things that can only be carried out thoroughly and comprehensively by people who are walking in the Holy Spirit. This is why, you know, it's so important to read the Scripture in its context. And so let's turn our attention to verse 1. When it reminds us about gentle restoration, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in sin or is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. And this word brothers in the very beginning is helpful uh, because it helps us to understand two things. This Greek word adelphoi, it means that this is about uh, the whole people of God, men and women, brothers and sisters together. But secondly, the primary context of the implications of this passage are within the family of God, brothers, sisters. So make no mistake, we should be calling people who are outside of Christ to Christ and then to his ways for sure. But just to to, to sort of drill it home, the primary application point in the context for this passage is among the people of God. We should be the church. So the language of caught as well in the first verse is no accident. So those who are caught in any transgressions, it can also be translated if anyone is surprised or overtaken by sin. It's almost like somebody slipping on an icy road. It catches you by surprise. It's almost like the, like the black ice that's so treacherous around here at times. It just, it'll just catch you. Oh, See, some, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. That's exactly what that word being caught by transgressions is all about. And for those of you who are having victory over sin today, those of you who are, who are thanking God because you've been triumphant over something that used to bind you, still be careful because sin can creep up on you. You might slip or fall. The adversary is prowling around like a roaring lion in the shadows, lurking, waiting for a moment to catch us. In these moments, we all fall, but, or in the moments we can fall, But at the same time, we have a Savior. As we talked about a moment ago during corporate worship, how the Lord, even if we fall, is forgiving and loving and kind, ready to forgive us from every unrighteousness. And so it calls upon you who are spiritual, the verse says, meaning those who are walking in the Spirit, those who are spiritually minded, we have a responsibility to help restore those who are caught in sin. So you have those who are caught and then those who are spiritual. And just by the way, because we know how it goes, at some point in our lives, we'll be on both sides of this equation. There's not a perpetually spiritual side and a perpetually sort of uh, those who are caught side. And one side is always speaking to the other. But because of the way that the Christian life works, we walk faithfully and then we slip. But then the body of Christ surrounds us. We encourage each other towards righteousness, and this is how it ought to work. This is, this is why, I mean, it says, it says that you who are spiritual should help move people towards correction by making a repair, doing the work of a surgeon who sets a broken limb. So this raises a helpful question for us today. Do you know someone who is in Christ, a brother or sister, but who has fallen away from faithfulness to Jesus? Or do I uh, know a believer who is living out of step with the gospel that we proclaim because it's the responsibility of those who are strong, walking in the Spirit at that moment to come alongside them and then help them. Because what happens when we are caught in sin, it leads, it's, it's, a, it's a shameful moment. It can lead to bewilderment. It can also uh, lead to isolation from the people of God. So if someone is caught in sin, for those of us who are spiritual, whoever that is in the room right now, to look after those, correcting those, calling them back to faithfulness who have been caught by sin. But Paul just doesn't say go after them willy-nilly. 
He's very specific. He says, uh, Paul insists that we work to bring others back to a right sort of relationship with Christ, walking in step with the gospel, with the spirit of restoration, with the, with the demeanor of bringing them back into a right relationship, but not with the demeanor of punishment. Some have been fooled into thinking that the harder you come after somebody, the harder you crack down on them, the better. But Paul is right here. It's to, he, he says, don't come after them harshly. Don't come after them with a big club. I mean, the, the person who is caught in sin needs to be restored, turned back to faithfulness to Christ. And so we can't fool ourselves. There's only one who is righteous, and that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he could have crushed us like a rock, but, under, but uh, by contrast, he is the rock upon which we stand. And so we ought to follow the example of Christ Jesus as opposed to crushing people who are out of step with God's ways. We ought to help them up, be a brace for them, help set them on a path that is good and righteous in their lives. So we live in a, in a uh, society where we love creating these judgment-free zones. And any sort of admonishment is out of vogue. So I think our culture is responding to beating, you know, being at times beat over the head with the Bible or something like that. But what we have to do is let people know that as we are coming after our brothers and sisters in love, it's for their betterment. It's for their good because we believe that God's ways are right for us. So as we begin to be those who are coming after those who are caught in sin, uh, as we are trying to help restore them gently, it helps us to do so gently if we continue to understand that there's a log in our own lie, and then dealing with that as we lovingly take the speck out of our brother or sister's eye. It helps us to understand that we have to search our motivations for helping our brothers and sisters, making sure we're approaching them out of their own good, approaching our children out of their own good and not for our own self-righteous delight. So as we do the work, it's important, the scripture says, for those who are spiritual, get this, to keep watch on yourselves lest you be tempted. I think this is such a helpful word for us because it's saying those who are spiritual, you also need to keep watch upon yourselves because we can also slip and fall, end up getting snuck upon, prowling around, or the, 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 the uh, roaring lion, the adversary, prowling around, grabbing us, catching us off guard. We have to have wisdom about how we care and love for people. It's important for us as we are caring for people, you know, especially as we have a burden for somebody who has a sin burden that was like the one that God has perhaps delivered us from, that we keep watch over where we go. That we go and we help people, not alone, but in community. That we keep on our guard. A wise mentor once told me that an unguarded strength is a double weakness. An unguarded strength is a double weakness because God might have given you victory over something, but because we are prone to wonder in our hearts, we should still continue to keep watch over that chink in our armor because the adversary is coming after us. But if we keep watch over it and we can then help others as we are trying to bring them out of that. And so this is such a wonderful text because it speaks to all of us. If we're caught in sin, or if you are those who are helping somebody who is in sin, or if you are the one who's helping, also keep watch over yourself. Stay on your guard, is what Paul is saying. So after addressing this burden of sin 
uh, he broadens it out in verse 2 to 6, talking about humble burden bearing. So verse 2 and following, it says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then uh, his reason to, to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will bear, have to bear his own load, and let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So at first blush, as we look at this chunk of verses, it might look like Paul is contradicting himself between verse 2, bear your own burdens, and then verse 5, each one will carry his own load. And so as I looked into this, I found that those are two different words that Paul is using. The first word for burdens is to bear a heavy or oppressive weight that one person can never be expected to carry by themselves. Verse 5, it talks about, uh, uh, it's, it's used throughout Scripture to talk about things like a ship's cargo or a soldier's knapsack or uh, a pilgrim's backpack, something manageable. And so John Stott helps us out a little bit here when he distinguishes the two kinds of loads. He says, quote, we are to bear one another's burdens, which are too heavy for one man to bear alone. But there is one burden which we cannot share. In fact, we don't, need to, we don't need to because it is a pack light enough for every man to carry himself. And that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. And on that day, you cannot carry my pack and I cannot carry yours. So verse 5, it's in the future tense, for each one will have to bury its own load to indicate the load that every Christian's going to have to bear at the end of days, at judgment. But I need to sort of clarify a little bit, continue on with what John Stott was saying, because the reason why for the Christian, the verse 5 load is bearable, is because Christ our Savior died for that. Previously, it was a burden, verse 2. But because of Christ, that burden is now a load that we can carry through Christ because he bore it for us. And so if somebody's a Christian today, that's good news. Because previously, that was a burden that we could not bear. But now Christ has made it a load that we can manage through his help. And so the text says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So all Christians have burdens. And as I look out on the room today, I can just recount different kinds of burdens that we're carrying. You know, I, I've, uh, I've, I've been on prayer teams. My wife is on a women's prayer team, and they get together and literally pray through every woman on the, at the church that would give them a prayer request. I don't know all the details of all that, but I know that they are long lists, and they are intensively and actively praying. And there's burdens here. All of our burdens are different according to the providential orderings of our lives. But for some, it could be a sin burden, like in verse 1. And for others, it could be a physical ailment, a mental disorder, a family crisis, a lack of employment, underemployment, or a host of other things. But one thing we understand is that no Christian is exempt from burdens. And so creation itself is groaning to be redeemed, to be restored to the way that God originally made it. And I love this church because in a, at a Mongo Day, people are always looking for ways to help brothers and sisters out. 
I mean, is, are we perfect at it? No. Do sometimes we don't catch everything for sure, but you know, it seems to me that as I look around the body, there are people who are actively trying to love and care for each other in a variety of ways. But by default, we easily recognize the burdens that we've carried ourselves or burdens that we've helped walk others through. And so uh, it's a beautiful thing that God sort of gives us the ability to recognize and empathize some things very quickly. But, you know, because for me and uh, my wife in particular, anytime that we, see, we hear of a family going through infertility or miscarriage or a, ch- a, a child born still or infant loss, my heart is immediately broken. I remember the moments where we stood by my daughter's casket. And those memories compel me to act, compel me to be empathetic with those issues that people are walking through, those burdens that people are carrying. And at our church, we have a wide variety of burdens that we carry. And at our, as our church grows in a variety of ways, as we grow vocationally, as we grow socioeconomically, ethnically, culturally, there's all kinds of burdens that we carry that are just getting broader and broader. And some of them we recognize very easily, but others we don't. So, for example, someone's walking through uh, an adoption process. There's a unique set of burdens with that. Somebody is going through the immigration process. There are unique burdens that they carry with that. Someone's immunocompromised in the midst of a pandemic. There are uh, unique burdens that come along with that. People whose families are uh, nearly disown them because of their faith in Christ. There's burdens that come along with that. And by the Spirit's help, we'll begin to recognize those burdens that we're unfamiliar with. And so um, there's an author, Gary Chapman, who sold millions of books called The Five Love Languages. Anybody hear about that book before? I mean, so I'll tell many of you guys, someone's laughing at that book. You don't like it? Okay. <laughs> I didn't think it was that funny, but hey. So, uh, so for those of you who don't know, the premise is, is that we try to love people in the way that we receive love. But the people that you want to love may receive love in a different way than you give it. Does that make sense? Right? And so, for example, for me, I, I love, I mean, I love words. Again, I'm, I'm up here talking for like 30 minutes. And so you can see how that would be the case. But my, my wife, she loves quality time. So sometimes I just need to sit on the couch and shut up and then so <laughs> receive love. And so I'm working on this stuff, promise. So this, now I'm accountable to you all. And so at a, at a church, or as a church, we understand how important is it, is it is for us to be aware of the needs in the body. And uh, it can be challenging, uh, and, but we, we have these very organic channels of sort of hearing about the needs of the church. We have small groups, we have prayer times, we have just sort of the conversation that comes and goes, and that we hear about the different needs of the body. But as our church grows, the shepherding task gets even greater, and especially as we grow in the different kinds of needs that we have at our church. And so as the pastors were thinking through uh, Galatians 6.2, there is a, uh, a specific application that we have for this. At Imago Dei, there's a, a, a group called Project 6.2, named after this verse, Galatians 6.2, who is assisting the elders to care for the flock and minister to the community. 
And so there's going to be sort of this, uh, d- uh, this document and survey sent out so you guys can give us all the needs that we're facing in the body, all the ways in which we can begin to care for each other and bear burdens more effectively and also bear the burdens in the community around us. And so because the, 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 the pastors and the elders can't possibly do this task alone, we're going to lean on each other to help identify the burdens so we can care for them more effectively. The great part about being a part of the body of Christ is that we don't just have to forget our problems in order to serve others. The Christian faith is about mutual caring, and it's supposed to work out that we get our needs met as we're ministering to others. This reminds me of a great uh, story that's uh, accounted for in three of the Gospels, and my favorite telling of this story is in Mark chapter 2. You have these friends who uh, were, in my view, some of the best friends in the world, because they had a friend who was, who was lame, who was sick, who couldn't walk. And then they wanted to get that, their friend to Jesus. And then they found the house where Jesus was. People were just packed in seeing, okay, they're trying to hear Jesus speak and, to te- and teach. And so they couldn't get their friend to him. So what do they do? They go on the roof, tear the roof open, and lower their friend down to Jesus' feet. There's times in the Christian life when we'll be on the stretcher, and there's times in the Christian life where we'll be bearing the stretcher. And this is the way that we care for each other mutually. It's not always the person who's strong being strong. It's not always the person weak being weak. But we care for each other in this way. And so some of you guys are saying, but what's going to happen when, when my need is not met? What is going to happen when someone doesn't meet my need when I'm meeting somebody else's? But the issue is, is that hopefully, and even if you don't have a pattern of this in your growth group or in your friend community, that you can be the first domino to fall to encourage others to bear the burdens of others. So verse 3 speaks directly to this myth of self-sufficiency when Paul says this, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The inertia of our society is to be self-sufficient and independent of those around us. Just think about it. Some of the most common adulting goals that we have you know, is, is to have a well-developed emergency fund, and then also to, to have a, a lot of savings for retirement. Anybody working towards those things? Those are good and helpful things. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't do those. But what that is doing, sometimes it gives us the illusion that we're independent of those around us during times of distress. So we can, we can be responsible and plan, but we can also have the, the body, knowing that the body is also there for us as well. We can lean on each other in these ways. And so, uh, seriously, guys, we have to begin to be, talk about the things that are burdening us. I think we, so many of us come to church and we assume that this is the place for people who have it figured out. False. This is a place for people who are burdened. This is a place for people who are heavy laden. And the Savior is here to give us rest. And then what also gives us rest is that when we come to Christ, we're also uh, found ourselves in a body, in a people who can help bear our burdens. We have to begin to talk about this. And sometimes when we don't talk about it, the adversary begins to get in our heads and telling us, nobody cares about my burden. But if nobody knows about it, we can't care for you. I'm not going to say that we're going to do it perfectly. I'm not saying that we're going to do it right all the time, but at least give the Holy Spirit a chance to move in his people to bear burdens. 
And so even this morning, as I came in here heavy because I found out my, fa- my father tested positive for COVID last night. And there's some complications that I'm really nervous about in the past. My brother prayed for me. He bore that burden for me. But also, I know that he has burdens that he is uh, trying to carry as well. And so as I pray for him, you know, as he goes and he does some work, you know, on his things this week, we can bear each other's burdens. We can call each other up. We can do what we have to do to encourage each other in that. We don't have to live this life alone. May this church actually be the church. May this church be a place where burdens can be borne, not just by you individually, because that's the whole point. We can't do it by ourselves. It's a load that we cannot bear, is what Paul's talking about in verse number two. Let us do it together. Be active in that. So continuing with verse four, he says, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And so just to be to summarize this very quickly, in our caring for others, especially as we're caring for those who are in the situation of a verse one, caught in sin, let us not use them as our measuring stick for righteousness, but let us use Christ as our measuring stick for righteousness. What it's saying is that we shouldn't, as we're caring for someone's sin burden, let's not boast in ourselves in comparison to their shortcomings, but what we should do is to boast in Christ himself because it's through Christ that that person and you are able to have life and have it abundantly. And so we shouldn't, we, you know, even if God has done a marvelous work in our lives, where we have grown and developed, and those things, those sins that entangled us so tightly, don't tangle us as tightly, or as, you know what I'm saying, don't entangle us as tightly as they used to. We shouldn't compare ourselves to others' shortcomings, but we should uh, just simply marvel at God for the work he's done in us. And so as we, as we do this, we continue on as we talk about other burdens. Verse 6, it says, let, let the one who is, taught, uh, who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so I won't linger here long, but suffice it to say, during the time this epistle was written, the burden of teaching was actually very uh, heavy. Because if you think about it at that time, a lot of work would go into just sustaining life. So you would go and you would work throughout the day, you would uh, labor for food, you would hunt, you would clean the stuff, which I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore because I don't, I don't do all that, the guts and stuff. And so you would hunt, you would clean the food, and you would like de-feather and pluck things and, and all that stuff. And I'm out of my depth. Somebody help me. So uh, <laughs> you would maintain the shelter, you would create clothes and all these kinds of things, but teachers, they would spend a disproportionate amount of time thinking, contemplating, studying, not doing the things that would sustain daily life. So the teacher, it was saying that the teacher shouldn't go uh, have needs that are unmet because of that. The student should help out the teacher. The, the, the student should, or in others, they, would, they, they should help out, the, the, bear that burden of the one who is helping to labor over the word of God to deliver the, the goods, so to speak, to the people of God. So that's a, a unique burden. And so Paul moves from the concept of burden-bearing to the age-old illustration of sowing and reaping. In verses 7 and 8, it says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so there's all, like, sometimes life seems so complex, but the fact is, Paul just sort of summarized this in a very simple illustration of reaping and sowing. So the logic is this. If you plant corn, you reap corn. corn. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you plant soybeans, you reap? There you go. Likewise, if you sow seeds of sinful things, you're going to reap brokenness. And then he goes on to say, if we sow seeds of righteousness, I mean, as I'm just sort of uh, working with what Paul has given us, you will, you know, if you uh, sow seeds of righteousness, wisdom will pour forth. And some of us are trying to defy logic here because we're trying to build into the world by, uh, by sowing seeds of evil and trying to reap good. So William Barclay says it this way, if we allow the lower side of our nature to dominate us, in the end, we will expect nothing but a harvest of trouble. But if we keep on walking the highway of doing the fine thing, in the end, God will repay. And he will repay us well for that. And so this directs us to, uh, to a real and poignant concern here, is that while God can forgive us of our sins, yes, there still are consequences for those sins that linger. As I was looking and reading about this passage, I ran across a quote from John B., not the uh, smooth-voiced protege of Babyface that gave us the smash hit Someone to Love in the mid-90s, <laughs> but John B., John B. Goff, right, who was the, uh, the temperance orator, who lived a reckless life early in his days, but then he declared, the scars still remain. But, the, but Goff doesn't stop there. He doesn't leave us simply with the fact that the scars remain because there's somebody who took scars for us. There's somebody whose scars speak a better word, not condemnation, but regeneration for us. There's somebody who is, uh, who's consistently sowing seeds of good on our behalf, but we just have to receive them. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we, as the people of God, ought to sow seeds of righteousness on each other's behalf as we're bearing each other's burdens. And this ought to be how we live as the people of God. Let's be the church, y'all. Let's be the church. This is who we are. This is whose we are. And that affects how we should live on a daily life. So if you today are sowing seeds of destruction, if today you are sowing seeds of death, into your life and the lives of those around you. This doesn't have to be the end of your story. There is so much more that the Lord Jesus has given us. Reach out to our Savior. Jesus has died for those things. He's risen from the dead to show that someday, even though we've reaped all these negative things, that one day all will be made new. All will be made right. And so don't let this be the end of your story. Paul gives us some exhortations as we finish out the last two verses of this text. And he says, uh, let us not grow weary in doing good. So in our triumph, in our sorrows, as we are awake, long nights, sowing seeds of righteousness, let us understand that the crop of righteousness grows slowly. So it's important for us to learn this. 
is that although the, the crop of righteousness grows slowly, the weeds of sin sprout quickly. And even the, pre- the pleasures of sin sprout quickly. So as you're sowing seeds of righteousness, as you're sowing seeds of good, don't worry, the joy is going to come. The Lord is going to repay that for the good. Understand that even though over here the adversary is beckoning to you to this quick gratification, understand that seed, that weed is going to sprout quickly, but it's nothing but death. It's not going to nourish you because Christ is the only one that can do that. Sow the seeds of righteousness despite the fact that it might take some time for them to grow. Let us not grow weary in doing good. And then Paul gives us verse 10 as we close today. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. Let us do good to everyone. We should be salt and light in this world in which we live. And not just in the world, but especially where it's harder in the places where we live, in the towns and in the homes where we live. Let us be salt and light there. But there's something special that Paul is trying to tell us here. Especially to those, as he says, who are of the household of faith. This verse tips us off to something that's very helpful for us here. So I don't know about you guys, but I, I often agonize about how the church is going to begin, uh, begin to gain ground in a culture of religious skepticism in our country. I wonder how we are going to continue to like, proclaim Christ in a tangible way. Yes, we ought to speak the gospel, but I think this passage as it connects to burden-bearing, is trying to tell us something, that there's an apologetic that is at work here. As the people of God are doing the work of being the people of God, there is something that is going to scream to the world around us that there's something special that's happening in the church that's not happening anywhere else. As the fruits of the Spirit are made manifest here in our body by God's grace, may it be so that people look at us and say, my goodness, what's going on there? And as we are in this valley of dry bones, they need to hear about the one who loved them perfectly. They need to see us try to live that out together. They need to hear the one who bore their sin on Calvary's cross. And we need to live in light of that burden bearing and that sin bearing and, and, uh, and pushing each other towards a right relationship with Christ. And because of the resurrection, it makes it possible that sin and the scars that remain will not remain forever. It will not remain forever. One day all of this is going to be made new and the world needs to get at least a glimpse of that. There is so much, so many bad things going on right now. So much wickedness going on right now. What the people need in this country and our city is to see something different. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, on Strickland Road, there's a body of Christ who gathers here where there's some burden bearing going on, where we're attentive to that. Maybe you haven't been attentive to that before, but now look around you. Look at your family. There's some stuff going on. I promise you there is. We ought to be reaching out to each other as not just to bear a real need, for sure, yes, but also as a means and a testimony to the world around us, but also it even transforms us as the people who are burden, bearing burdens for each other. It's all good, family, all the way around. Let's be about this. And so by God's grace, uh, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, 
It'll even give us even more encouragement to bear each other's burdens, to proclaim the, uh, the, the life and death and resurrection of Christ with our lips and with our lives. And so I want to pray for us as we transition to the supper because this right here that we're about to celebrate gives us the energy, gives us the motivation to continue on with this good work of being the church. Pray with me. For... Father, we're grateful today. We're a grateful people, not because we've earned it, but because you've earned it and we've received it from you. God, thank you for bearing our, 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 our burden, making it a load that we can bear because of Christ. Thank you for how you have continued to be faithful to us as we are faithless. Thank you for being righteous, to, uh, you know, righteous on our behalf while we continue to slip and be caught in sin. God, thank you that our sin and our struggles are not the last word on us. Thank you that our struggles are not the thing that are going to be, will be remembered by if we're in Christ. You're victorious, and therefore we get to bask in that. Receive that. It's ours through Jesus. And so I pray that you would bring people to yourself today. For those who don't know you, may they uh, reach out and find you even today. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.